Welcome to this week's TESFE podcast with me, Sarah Simons. Today, I'm joined by Scott Hayden. Hi, Scott. Welcome. Hello, Sarah. Tell us about what you do. At Basingstoke College of Technology, I've been a teacher for 10 years. In the last few years, I've been given a different role. I'm a digital innovation specialist now, Sarah. Oh. Um, I know, I know. Um, so that means I teach teachers about technology, essentially. Three years ago, 2015, I took on a team of eight student volunteer digital leaders, and we trained all staff about technology, edtech, social media, on inset days, in staff rooms, in their classroom. Went well. Ofsted said nice things. And now... My job title has changed and my job role has changed, whereby I still teach uh, two days a week, but the majority of my role is me training up staff and helping students. So now we have, at the college, one hour of timetable blended learning within every single full-time course, all level one, two and three courses. And my digital team's job is to embed meaningful, relevant digital skills within every single curriculum area in a way that actually helps them get criteria as well. It's clearly going to plan because, big congratulations, this year your team won Outstanding Use of Technology for Improving Teaching, Learning and Assessment at the TESFE Awards. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Lovely to be amongst those uh, names. So we're a vocational college in Hampshire and like all other FE colleges, that's to be adaptive and agile and have a growth mindset in the way we sort of approach the needs of industry in terms of digital skills, that that third functional skill that every area needs help in, and reduce contact time. So what we've done is we tried to craft, using Google Classroom and G Suite in particular, really um, bespoke personalised sessions for training staff to make sure they're upskilled to deliver what is needed for their students and working with students to find out how they want to learn using blogs, podcasts, websites, uh, vlogs, editing videos, using social media, learning in a way that they're used to, to evidence their understanding of criteria. So we've tried to do that in every single area. And we've got areas like makeup, creating wonderful photography and videos on their blogs and websites to advertise themselves to future employers. We've got sports guys editing videos of themselves, lifting weights and recording audio voiceovers, annotating and analysing their performance. Diverse areas all using digital learning in a meaningful way that is going to prepare them for the realities of industry. That sounds really useful, not just technology, because we should be using technology. I didn't even realise I was doing blended learning until someone pointed it out to me, really. Um, I am always led by what students are into, try to craft my lessons around that, and always looking at industry, finding out what they're going to be expected to do in five, ten years from now. So therefore, it's a dereliction of duty not to train them in these tools. I hear that you've had an invitation. I'm trying to control myself. You can hear I'm quite excited about your invitation. Tell us where you're going. <laughs> I'm going to Buckingham Palace. I've been invited by Queenie to come and have a bit of tea. So that's nice, isn't it? So for services to further education. Yeah, I'm a bit... I'm a bit conflicted about the monarchy and whatnot, but it's it helps the college. Yeah, is yeah. the bottom line. And, um, and and anything that's happened in terms of any of the praise we've had, the only 
the only reason for it, the reason I think it's of any use is that it helps the work, it helps the students, it helps opportunities, it helps us to actually help our students get to where they're going. And to that end, the trip to Buckingham Palace, yeah, it'll be lovely. My wife's got a nice hat. And hopefully you'll be able to nick something. <laughs> Everyone's saying that. Everyone's saying I should go on the nick. I can't do that. I mean, particularly now this is, you know, I'm in a public forum right now. Everyone knows about the fact oh. I might do this. So I've got to be... <laughs> so uh, you're definitely not going to nick anything. We hear you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. So let's crack on with this week's TES. This first piece is by Jonathan Owen about the Institute for Apprenticeships and how it's got off to a, well, a slow start, shall we say. So the, the headline is, it's like building an aircraft while it's in flight. A year ago, the Institute for Apprenticeships got off to an inauspicious start, rushed into operation with a skeleton staff. But the IFA's boss admits to Jonathan Owen that it's still a work in progress and pledges to make it faster and better. What are your thoughts, Scott? I'm a big believer in the power of apprenticeships. Here at BCart, we've got more apprentices now than we have full-time students, and that's tipped over in the last um, two years. It's only going to increase in the sense we're going to have more apprentices. Um, I've got two wonderful apprentices in my digital team, uh, Charlie Leckier and Sky Caves, who are the heartbeat of anything good that we've been congratulated for. Um, it's because we've had these uh, vibrant, effervescent, brilliant young ladies leading us actually showing us what we need to do to engage learners in a more effective way that we've had any success we've had. So looking at what they've achieved in the last two years is far more effective than what I achieved in my degree, master's degree, and my and a couple of years experience. They've achieved just as much in two years of an apprenticeship. In terms of making all apprenticeships what they need to be, led by industry, so that the apprentice is match fit and is getting what they need in terms of academic nourishment as well as real life experience is fundamental and so far the IFA hasn't quite cracked it but what's frustrating is the the lack of clarity the lack of um, certainty with which they're speaking about the plans in place. I think one of the issues is that this creation of employer-led body to help deliver apprenticeships it was announced by George Osborne who was chancellor in November 2015 then it seems to me there was a load of faffing about trying to get it started. There wasn't a full-time CEO in place until recently, Sir Jerry Berrigan. And the piece says, but in the months since his appointment, there's been criticism of the new apprenticeships and Skills Minister Anne Milton has expressed her frustration, saying that the Institute needed to really speed up its work. I think the other issue is that there hasn't been enough take-up from employers as yet. But the lack of visibility, the lack of credibility from colleges, sixth forms and FE institutions um, in particular, in terms of making apprenticeships as viable and attractive and options to students as university is one of the reasons as well that I think that perhaps this needs to be recalibrated and refocused. And Anne Milton's been at pains to sort of push forward apprenticeships and to lend them that credence. And I like her impatience, in fact, and the fact she seems to be proactively questioning and sort of highlighting and magnifying the amount of scrutiny yeah. that the IFA is under because they have a responsibility to make it fit for purpose. The IFA has a duty to deliver those standards, that pathway for the students who are doing vocational courses. Yeah, 
The other issue is that the Institute has another challenge coming. Later this year, it'll be given responsibility for technical education, including the new mm. T-levels, and renamed the Institute for Apprenticeships and Technical Education. The T-levels um, is something that, you know, it's going to come at a time where we're staff are understanding and on board with the principal behind it and the students are needing, um, again, for industry and what they're going to go on to do in the future. They're going to need the skills that T-levels will provide and that everyone seems to be in harmony in the sense that we go, yeah, we get it, that makes sense, we need that now and we're sort of ready for it. But I feel like uh, the lack of organisation from a institutional standpoint is frustrating i mean again is the idea that we don't have that certainty and that clarity of vision means that the efforts might be a bit diffuse and a bit disparate in the sense of what the actual purpose and standards are going to be and we need that in terms of apprenticeships that actually are helping the students because i've seen and i'm sure you've seen it so students who are missold an apprenticeship aren't getting the skills they need to be getting and making more cups of tea than is decent for their employers and they get doing that in lieu of actual growth and development yeah. in their specialised area and in terms of the standards making sure they are consistent and appropriate so the assessor can come in and work with the employer to make sure the student and the employer get in what is appropriate it's, it's needed and we need that um, consistency the ambiguity means we're going to be talking about this again maybe in two three years time crying out for standards again we need that consistency the Institute has a difficult job. I don't envy them, to be honest. Anyway, let's crack on with the next one. We have Kirsty Donnelly, who is Managing Director of City and Guilds Group. And the title for this piece is FE is getting on the front foot to shape its future. It says, amid so much system change, it's hard to see beyond the here and now. But by learning to speak the language of business the sector could answer the skill demands of 20 years' time. It's not just about qualifications changing, but the workplace changing. In terms of being led by business, being led by industry, this is something that FE finds itself in a unique position to do well. Working with employers, having them in the actual classroom, whether it be physically as guest speakers or whether it be co-designing coursework and assignments with them, inviting them to forums. I think this is something we need to be doing increasingly as the next couple of years proceed to actually make sure that our qualifications are fit for purpose and actually preparing the students for what they're going to be expected to do in the workplace. So speaking the language of business I feel like um, it's something we should be doing and in many parts have been doing for our FE. When I look on Twitter in particular, other people are doing. I think that we're consciously trying to include that skill set within the curriculum to enhance it, to make sure that the students are ready. And as well as, you know, the significant change of, of digitalisation, Kirsty talks about the practical changes like employers are dealing for the first time with a multi-generational workforce we're likely to see even greater age diversity ahead as people set to work until the 70 and maybe beyond so she talks about how people's careers are changing that they might have you know more of a a portfolio career or have several different careers in their lifetimes there's lots of scope for people retraining people upskilling throughout the whole life I say to my students now that you're not going to have just one career anymore. Um, I train them in every single area of the media industry so they are ready to actually be agile and adapt and flexible enough to be employable 
uh, for not just the next five, 10 years, but throughout their life, instilling that lifelong learning approach is something I'm at pains to do. Yeah. And can I just say, I'm absolutely delighted that both in our conversation and in Kirsty's piece, nobody's used the word future proof. Honestly, it's one of my triggers, it sets me off. Future proof? What does that even mean? We're not frigging Doctor Who. Future proof. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's, it's, it niggles me as well, that phrase. That's what matters most is that we make sure our students are constantly um, learning and, and want to learn and love learning, I suppose, as well. Yeah, and it's it's difficult sometimes when we're in this, this environment where we're getting people ready for work, where we're encouraging people to get the skills they need to go on and you know, have the, a fulfilling career, have a, a fulfilling life, contribute to society, all of these things, to remember that learning stuff is dead exciting in itself. Completely, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes learning skills, I mean, but, uh, a girl two years ago, Abby, um, a makeup uh, student who hated me because I made uh, make a website, so for her, in our Benedict Learning session, to put her photography and videos of her wonderful her makeup designs and she disliked me enormously and because uh, I was making her learn this new skill and she didn't necessarily love it um, at first and as the year progressed um, her website became really good and it was fantastic as promoting her as a business as a freelancer because I was showing her that you need to be employable beyond this course you need to this will be the hub of all your wonderful ideas and you'll get you'll earn from this and sure enough she got a two thousand pound contract in industry which yeah makes my heart sing talking about it i just love the idea the fact that she realized at the end of the course even though it was like giving her vegetables almost these digital skills something that she didn't necessarily want but knew was good for her ultimately she didn't necessarily love doing it but we were training her for the realities of industry, what business in her, her field demands. And that's something we need to be doing all the time, making sure our students leave, not just with the qualification, but with a skill set that makes them undeniable when they go into that interview. Finally, we have Andy Forbes, who is Principal and CEO of College of Haringey, Enfield and North East London. And he writes beautifully. He always does. It's absolutely wonderful to see a principal who doesn't sit on the fence in any way, shape or form. He says it every time. He says what he means. And he doesn't just kick off. He gives you an answer to the problem, which I, I love. So this week, he's concerned about... T levels is concerned about the buy-in of employers because you know this is a new qualification I, I came in to FE and I was teaching on the the pilot of functional skills 10 years ago and it's still seen as oh what is it functional skills that's a bit new so this is a concern that the amount of time it takes for an understanding a kind of filtering into the public consciousness of a qualification yeah, I completely agree. Andy suggests the understanding of what the qualification is. He says common sense will tell us it takes about three to five years for people to know what this is. He says until these stages have been completed and successful T-level graduates are thriving in the labour market, students, parents, schools and colleges will hesitate to choose them you know, hesitate to choose T-levels. He says this will lead to two problems. Number one, High-flying learners will be reluctant to risk their prospects by enrolling onto an untried and untested programme. And number two, and partly as a result, T-levels will from the start be perceived by many to be second best to A-levels. Those are the issues that he sees arising, but he has an answer. 
he suggests that the best way would be to get a number of high-status employers to commit in advance to employing all of those who successfully complete mm-hmm. a pilot program. So looking at it, you know, in a similar way to apprenticeships. And he says, why not allow the full cost of employing T-level graduates to be counted as part of the company's apprenticeship levy for the first few years of their employment? What do you reckon? I like it a lot. The flip side, of course, is that the employers may well demand that the students actually work with them for two, three years in order to sort of counterbalance and to pay off, as it were, the commitment they put into their course and their support. And there might be some sort of golden handcuff sort of relationship in that way, which to get these qualification up running, that might be something we have to do. I like the idea of it. In terms of lending credibility from industry, actually putting their name, their credibility next to the T-levels is something that might actually be needed. Because, as you say, compared to A-levels, we may still get that stigma, much in the same way BTECs and CAMTECs and City and Guilds qualifications have now still in comparison to A-levels, but can't be considered the same as. Um, it's one of the failings of BTECs and other vocational qualifications is that they try to be a like-for-like replacement or alternative for um, A-levels, whereas in actual fact they were quite different and they should have celebrated that difference in terms of preparing students for their job, their career, directly. And I feel T-levels need to be branded and organised and framed in that a career vocational um, skills-facing manner in order to make them that choice for many people at vocational courses who want a qualification that makes them match fit for the job. And if T-levels can align themselves with employers, uh, not just one employer, but potentially a collection of sponsors and they're a collection of employers, then I feel like they're more likely to succeed quicker, hopefully, than three to five years. I understand what it means, though, about people having kind of proof in the long term that they work. Mm-hmm. It's quite a, a turbulent time, isn't it, in FA? It just seems everywhere you look, there's all sorts going on that has potential to turn the sector upside down. We've always been quite malleable and quite sort of survivalist in FA, and we've had to be as a consequence of us being sort of not treated with the same amount of respect and not afforded the same amount of dignity as, as other areas of education. But... At the same time, I'm optimistic, though, Sarah. I feel like we are showing how to work with industry. We are showing how to connect and collaborate and merge in many instances, many instances really effectively, in fact, to survive. And we are adapting to what our students need out of necessity, because what we are doing is under such scrutiny that we have to make sure what we're doing is really efficient. We are ready for the challenges. I do genuinely believe that. And I'm genuinely optimistic at the same time. Scott, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Thanks so much. Thank you. This has been the TESFE podcast with Scott Hayden and me, Sarah Simons. Join us again soon for all the FE news and views. Thanks for listening.